always been fascinated by talking to creative people, those who think differently, understand uniquely, and see the world in their own way. Now don't get me wrong, I love what creatives produce, but often, the story behind the story is what really inspires me, because I want to know where ideas come from, because that's where the magic happens. That's the creative backstory. Welcome to uh, the Creative Backstory, Season 2, Episode 1. We've made it through a whole first season, and um, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Um, I'm kind of excited today. I've been working on this show for for a while because it's, it's a different kind of creativity, and it has to do with both the creative process, as we know, of making things and the creative process of selling things. So my guest today, without before 2013, had nothing to do with the fashion industry whatsoever, except, you know, like us, we were consumers. So, but she founded a shoe company, which is weird because out of all the style choices that you could make, if you think about it, shoes are probably the hardest, right? It's not like a one piece shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They're they're the most difficult thing you wear. (laughs) (laughs) And, and off you go. So After a trip to one of the poorest areas in Guatemala, Bethany saw beyond the poverty, which was there, but she saw some potential. Um, She figured it out. She hired some weavers, some shoemakers, and uh, some on-site managers. She figured out a way to pay them a living wage, which is amazing. She designed and hired a staff back home. She even rescued a Guatemalan dog in the process. And uh, back in 2013, I I bought a pair of her shoes, the initial season. I still have them. They're emerald green. I have worn them from New York to California. And I think they even made an appearance in in Copacabana Beach at one point. And they're still my favorites. Um, To boot, no pun intended, Bethany's built a community of like-minded thinkers that span customers, employees, suppliers, and and colleagues all to talk about sustainability, about making a difference, and of course, voting with your feet. The puns are going to flow like water today. This is so good. <laughs> Welcome, Bethany Tran. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm thrilled. So I kind of want to start at the beginning because your story is is a creative process in its own. You didn't start out in fashion at all. No, I have a marketing background. Yeah, nothing. And I was working basically in tech and uh, the medical industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so tell the story about how, how did how'd you get to Guatemala? How did you, you know, what tore at your heart and what made you believe that you could you could take this leap of faith? I'm going to start with that last question. First, it was a lot of being very naive, which I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a certain (laughs) level of stupid. Like you really do. Because if you knew how hard it was going to be, you would never, no one in their right mind would ever do it. Um, (laughs) But uh, we got started. um, Friends of mine started a nonprofit that was working in a slum community in Guatemala. um, And what year was that? I'm going to say it was like 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And um, a good friend of mine at the time was one of the founding members of this nonprofit. And she was actually going to move to Guatemala for a year. 
And she tells me this and, um, I'm normally a processor. Like I need to think about things. And, um, there was just this immediately like this nagging in my brain that well, probably more accurately, my heart that was like, you need to go like instantaneously. And I told her that same night when she told me she was moving, I was like, well, I'm going to come visit you, which of course, you know, ha ha. Yeah. Right. Um, and about six months later, it was three weeks after she had moved down there. Um, I touched down in Guatemala. It was actually my first besides Canada. Do we really count Canada as international? I mean, we should, we should, (laughs) I feel like they have uh, somebody, there's a t-shirt somewhere that says Canada, America's hat, which I think is hilarious, (laughs) (laughs) but they're North American. They're, they're continent. They're like roommates, but you know, uh-huh. I mean, it's, like not, it's not the U S but, um, I had been to Canada before as a teenager, but this was really my first time, um, going international. Um, and my first time really staring poverty in the face like that. Um, and you know, you think, you know, what material poverty looks like until you step into, um, one of the worst slums in the world. Um, and, um, I spent a week in the slum community, um, and coming out of that first trip just really started realizing, um, that so many nonprofits are focusing on education, which is really important. Um, I never want to make it sound like it's not important, but, um, it kind of felt like we're going about poverty alleviation backwards where maybe we should be focusing more on empowering the parents to be able to take care of their kids rather than having to rely on charity. Um, and this was long enough ago where like social enterprise was not a common term. Like people didn't know what that meant at the time. Um, I think if you're talking about like major fair trade brands, I think Noonday was just getting started around that time. Maybe Um, it's questionable whether or not Tom shoes is a a social enterprise, but if nothing else, they've done a lot with changing consumer mindset on what your money can do in terms of how you shop. Um, They were just starting out at the time. So this wasn't really something that people were talking about much, but um, I just started looking at this community and I'm going really what's needed here is jobs. Like people need jobs. Um, and so I'd gone down to Guatemala a couple of times over the next few years and every time kind of coming back with this, like, you know, there's a problem here and, and someone has to do something about it. Um, and I always think it's so interesting seeing the problems that different people see. Um, like I've, I've talked to so many other people where it's like, I would never have thought of solving that problem. Like there are people out there solving problems. And I'm like, I just, it wouldn't even have occurred to me to like, Oh yeah. This problem needs to be solved. (laughs) Remember the first year I was down in Haiti, Port-au-Prince medical clinic. I can't even tell you the people there, you know, you kind of get devastated because it's a mind, you know, it's just, it's an automatic smack in the face with some reality that not only do people not have what what I have chances of them getting it are almost nil you know there so what do we do because we're you know the imperialists that we are we try to help but everything we try you know you try to give somebody food in the street if you don't do it right you put yourself in in some serious danger and I've seen it a hundred times, you know, if you don't 
give somebody the right resources and the right, I think we gave somebody at one point money for a surgery. And of course that was, maybe it was a couple hundred dollars down there, but that was more money than that kid had ever seen. So the next year in the clinic, that kid comes back with the same problem. Well, what'd you do with the money? Well, my family needed things and you can't yell because the need, need is need, you know? Right. Um, So it's, I don't know that it's hard to do a good job of really explaining that kind of mind shift. Yeah, I think, yeah. And it's, that's a really good example of it too, which is why, um, in my opinion, if money was going to solve poverty, it would have by now. I mean, how long have we been at this game? You know, the Salvation Army has been around since, I think the 1800s and like they, they, that's what they started as, as you know, a lot of poverty alleviation. And it's like, we're, we're still here in God. I just almost said 2021. (laughs) It's not 2021. (laughs) It's 2022. Uh, um, But that was one of the big things that I learned um, in those few years of going down there is like, we're throwing money at a problem and it's not solving it. So something has to be different. Like we've got to change how we're approaching this. Um, which is really where the idea for the business came. Like it started as a, there's a problem here that needs a solution. Someone's got to do something about it. Um, and a few things kind of happened that, <laughs> that, uh, pushed me, rather forcefully to being, uh, that someone, um, I started a job working at Comcast. Um, so now here I am, you know, I've quote unquote made it in terms of, you know, the American life, right. I'm working for by far one of the largest corporations in America, you know, on the 40th floor, downtown Philadelphia, um, And everybody, like I had so many people messaging me going, how did you get that job? It is impossible to get in there. Um, And so, you know, I'm in this envied position of working for Comcast and I have never cried so fast at a job before because I was miserable. I was like, why am I here? You mean from between the time you got hired and when you started crying? (laughs) (laughs) It was literally, I think I broke down in tears. I'm not kidding. Within about two weeks, I was like, what am I like doing here? Like, it's not even that the job was that bad. I mean, it was, it was a good job. Like there are so many things that um, my husband and I, every once in a while, we're like, man, kind of miss those days. Kind of miss that paycheck. (laughs) <laughs> kind of miss, kind of miss the security of having that job, but um, my heart was not in it at all, and I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, so I started that job. Three weeks later, I turned thirty, and I went through a pretty major qu- quarter life crisis because um, at the time thirty feels so old, you know, and it's it's really not. You're still kind of an infant at thirty. <laughs> um, True. Well, you know, you you've got. I think you, you got as far as you did on, on, you know, and I'm speaking for all of us, you kind of get on raw, on raw instinct, and then you start to figure things out. And that's why yeah. you feel that because you feel like you got somewhere and that's, that's right. valuable. So, yeah. right. Right. Um, 
So those two things kind of happened back to back. And then um, a few months later, the documentary Half the Sky aired on PBS. Um, I don't even know where you can watch it online anymore. It used to be on Netflix. I don't think it is right now. Um, But if you haven't watched it, highly recommend. Um, It was, the documentary was a follow-up from a book that was written. It's um, two New York Times authors who wrote the book and then did that documentary, Husband and Wife Team. Um, And they follow eight women around the world who are just doing incredible things, working in the red light district in India, um, literally rescuing women out of prostitution. Um, There is one woman who always forget what tiny African country it is where like, there's like one doctor for 2 million people and women are dying in childbirth all the time. And she was going to these villages and training midwives and the mortality rate was tanking. And I'm remember vividly just laying in bed, watching this, just sobbing. I was just bawling um, and had that moment of you've got these women who are living in these countries where women are not valued at all. And they're still doing these incredible things. And I realized I had no excuse anymore at this point to not do something about this problem that I had seen. Um, and so the next day I was like at work, Comcast, like hiding in a conference room, hoping that nobody was going to show up in there, um, on the phone with the, at the time director of the nonprofit that I had been working with and basically said, I've had this idea for this business for a long time. Um, I don't have any products, like I don't have anything to sell. So who do you know? Um, and that's how we got started and that's how we fell into shoes. That's how you got to shoes. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yeah. And I feel like I've been, I've been with the root collective, you know, since the beginning and I never knew that that's how you felt. That's cool. Yeah. They had gotten connected with a shoemaker about a year before who, um, we worked with him for, for quite a while. Unfortunately, we, we had to part ways due to, um, quite a few things. It was, it was really, really hard. Um, but I remember that, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very sweet man, really big heart, but we just, we, we just couldn't make it work. Um, no matter how we tried primarily because shoes are a very, very difficult product. And I think you have to be, you have to have the right business mindset in order to be able to make it work. Um, and, um, so that was how we fell into it was saying here. Mm -hmm. So looking back, was there, what were either the voices in your head or the voices in your real life that were saying yay or nay or not shoes? How about t-shirts? How about bookmarks? <laughs> that would have been so much easier. Well, when we launched, so it took about 13 months to get it off the ground. And when we launched, we were doing other things. So we launched, we had shoes, we had bags, we had some jewelry, um, some scarves. We had really early on gotten connected with a weaving cooperative as well, um, which is where our fabric was being sourced from. Um, so we launched with a whole bunch of different products. Um, I remember cause I have, I still have, I have one of your scarves from back in the you? day yeah. stripes, it's pink and white. And I like oh, it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that was where we started. And in hindsight, I would never recommend doing multiple products like that to start like ever. It was a terrible idea because you can't do so many things as a new business, as somebody, especially who doesn't have a background in product manufacturing and do it well. Okay. Can't do it. Would, would anyone, would even you today 
talking to you in 2013 been able to persuade you of that at the time? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh-uh. I actually had a business friend of mine. She is a bridal gown designer. Um, and I'm going to say it was probably about a year after we launched. Um, and she said one of the best pieces of business advice she ever got was to do one thing and do it well. And I was like, we're fine. <laughs> no, we're, we're fine. And then I think it was probably about six months after that. I was like, we're not, we're not fine. We're not fine. <laughs> now I'm trying to remember at what point in the business did you and, and Tian get together? When did you get married? So I was married before we started. So, okay. so yeah. he was with you the whole time. Yeah. So, um, so Tana and I got married 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 2011. So, um, yeah, he was, you know, I think he probably thought it was cute at first. <laughs> like, oh, this is cute. Like, you know, you're just going to start like a cute little business and, um, cute little craft cottage industry. Yeah. That, I, lo- I love it when they call them cottage industries because yeah. they, they yeah. make you sound, they make you sound like you can only and adorable <laughs> go so far. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> um, and I do really think that's probably, I mean, he's never said that to me, but if I had to guess, that was probably what he was thinking. Um, I mean, cause I remember him asking like, well, how much do you think it's going to, you know, take to get started up and, um, I gave him a number, which of course we went over that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, he's, he has been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Silent, All right. silent partner. <laughs> All right. So you met this guy down in Guatemala and he made shoes for you for a while and just couldn't quite get it together. But do you remember the first box of, were you down there when you got, just tell me the story about how it first all came together. Cause can I, is it okay if I just say you live in the Southern United States, I do. you have to, you can't roll out of bed and walk down to the shop, which is another like reason. I think this business is so creative. Cause I don't know how, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember our first box that we got and uh, I opened it up and I go, Oh, okay. We're in trouble. We're, we're in a lot of trouble right now. Um, we were probably a month away from launching. Cause like I had, I had a deadline. We had to launch by mid November by the latest, because I didn't want to miss the holiday rush. This was my big thing. I'm like, we have got to get out in time for the holidays. Um, so I was planning on November 9th. That was my day. And, um, when that's even late for holiday. Yeah, it is. Yep. Um, And it was sometime in October. I don't even remember exactly. I got the first box and we were doing, we were doing these woven striped shoes. And I remember opening the box and like the right and left pair were not matching. Like the stripes were in totally different places. Um, And sometimes you can get away with something like that. With these shoes, there was no way we could get away with it. I literally hopped on a plane last minute flew down to Guatemala and I was like, okay, we're problem solving. Like, how do we fix this? Um, and they had to remake. And I mean, we're talking, we had very small quantities, but they had to remake probably half the shoes that they had made because I was like, we can't, we can't sell these. Like no one's going to buy them. (laughs) Um, and I think we got the fixed shoes back. I mean, I'm talking like days before 
that November 9th deadline. Um, it was, it was pretty bonkers. Um, and that really is a very good example of kind of how things have gone ever since. <laughs> we're constantly in crisis mode. <laughs> well, you seem to roll with it, you know, over the years as I've known you and, you know, I have to tell listeners that we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. I don't know that, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we don't go to each other's, you know, tea parties or anything, but I've always felt very, very good about knowing you and glad that we're, we're in touch, but um, you know, I think we, anyway, all this to say is it's just been very curious to, to watch, you know, you, your panic has changed over the years. Oh, that's kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to phrase it because I remember all of the sleepless nights I used to have because things are constantly going to go wrong. Like that is the nature of manufacturing is you're constantly problem solving, constantly putting out fires constantly. Um, and it used to keep me up at night and just like, like, what are we going to do? Oh my God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And now I'm like, okay, well, it's fine. I mean, whatever, like we're going to figure it out. And if we have to push out a launch date, we have to push out a launch date. Like it's not the end of the world. Um, the way that I have learned how to handle the sky falling down on a regular basis has vastly changed. All right. So if you could bottle it, what would be in the bottle? Does that make sense? <laughs> bottle, the, bottle the solution? Yeah, yeah, or the calming, the self-soothing <laughs> or the, the problem solving. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think if I had, if I had to bottle it, um, it's just a lot. Oh I always say this and I have to say it with a disclaimer of, I stopped caring so much, but not in a bad way. No, I understand. You put the, yeah. Yeah. Like, I always tell people like with the agency, when I first started in agency work, my ego used to be all about what I wanted to do and trying to sell my ideas. But then after too much angst about that, my ego changed to making clients happy. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's the same thing, but it sounds like it. Yeah, I would say that's probably, it's definitely in the same vein for sure. Um, you know, and it's not like I, I stopped caring about our partners and I stopped caring about our customers and I stopped caring about our products. It was just like, you realize like we're, this is not emergency surgery. Like this is not like life or death. This needs to be solved right now. Um, like it's going to be okay. That's just really what it comes down to. Like, it's going to be okay. And we've had to, there've been times where we've had to like push off launches for shoes for an entire year. It's, it's okay. Like we're all right. <laughs> um, and I think even from like, I hate thinking of myself from a leadership perspective, but you know, we have a team now and, and whether or not I like it, that's a word that I have to use. But um, I think kind of, stopping caring so much has also just helped from a team perspective because I'll have um I'll have team members panicking about stuff and I'm like no like we're we're good like it's okay let's just everybody take it down a notch and and you know let's let's solve this problem right well and I think too that once once you get your first 
once you get over the first hurdle, the others don't seem so, mm-hmm. even if they're bigger hurdles, they don't seem so bad because right. you got over one. Right. So what do you think, like, and this is why, this is really why I had you on this, because this is creative. These are creative minds making money and making a difference and doing a little more. So, you know, that's why you're here, because we're going to talk some more process. So is there anything else you want to add about those early years as we get into? I have some questions from yeah. the uh, the Root Collective insiders. Go for it. <laughs> so, do you, are, like, when did you feel? How many years in from 2013 till now did you did you feel like, all right, we got a little thing going, and I got a little I got a little you know groove going, and I got people looking at my shoes, and I've got people wearing my shoes, which is more important. I love that question because um, sometimes people ask me, like, they ask me, when do you feel like you've made it? Or do you ever feel like you're going out of business? And I'm like, oh, all all the time. We're constantly going out of business, like all the time, (laughs) every year, especially in the summer. I'm like, this is the year that we're going up, that we're going under. Um, We got some good traction really early on. Like I had gotten in touch with an editor from InStyle Magazine, um, probably about two years in. And um, honestly, getting press like that is not a magic bullet. People think that it's a magic bullet and it is not. It is not an instantaneous like throwing you over the top. Sometimes it can be. You know, you hear those stories where it's like somebody got picked up by a magazine or New York Times and, you know, their business exploded overnight. Most of the times that's not how it works. Um, so we got some traction early on, um, but truthfully, I still, I I honestly really still am not like we're solid. Like I'm still like, we've made some really, really major business shifts this year. And honestly, I would say this is probably in the last four to six weeks is the most comfortable I've been with feeling like we're not going under in the entire time we've been in business. But I say that knowing once July hits, I'm going to be going, yeah, we're going under. (laughs) Well, okay. So you keep all your, your inventory in stock and this speaks a lot to sustainability in fashion, which is a topic that I cannot believe how much, waste. I I think the first statistic I ever read that it takes like 30 gallons of water to make a pair of jeans or something like that. And then when you learn a little bit about fast fashion and people making knockoffs of what they see on the runways so they can take advantage of trends in 24 hours or less, you know, but that results in a lot of, a lot of waste. Um, Billions and billions of unworn pieces of clothing per year laying in landfills. Yep. (laughs) It's crazy. It's so honestly mind blowing. Yeah. It's mind blowing. And as you know, I think the last thing any designer wants is unworn clothing, unworn shoes, you know, so I, I bring this up to talk so you can talk a little bit about how you used to keep a lot of stuff in stock and now you've done something a little different. So talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, this is our, this is the shift that I was talking about that we just, uh, we just made this year. Um, so we have done like a pre-order model in the past. Um, and sometimes it would go okay. Often it would be really slow because as consumers, we have this Amazon mindset of, well, if I order something, I want it at my door in two days. Um, and I would think really probably most small businesses, I preface this by saying I still order stuff from Amazon. We all hate Amazon because it has created unrealistic expectations about what business should look like. And it's not sustainable at all. Um, but we had this, we were last summer going out of business as we are every summer. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we were like, we were in a hard place. I mean, these last two years, uh, manufacturing in, in the world of COVID has been very, very hard. Um, business in general in the time of COVID has been very hard for a lot of people. Um, but 2021, I have heard from many small businesses was harder than 2020. And it was that case for us as well. Um, so last summer we were going out of business and um, we were trying to get new product out. And I mean, I'm talking like we pretty much had to scrap all of our plans from 2020. Uh, we were trying to get things started back up in 2021. And we were trying to get these new things out the door in the fall and we're going out of business and we're completely cash strapped. Um, and a, I have, I have a friend who's extremely smart and she works for, um, a, actually a major shoe manufacturer. And, um, she had sent me a link for another brand that was doing these very limited pre-orders, 36 hours. You've got 36 hours to get in, get this product, and then the door's closing. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Well, yeah, well, yeah not, only not only does it limit what you have, but it limits, it kind of creates this, this pressure uh -huh. And I will explain this because I just pre-ordered a pair of shoes that I said I wasn't going to buy from you because they're red and they're leather. And I already know that they fit great and I love them. And I'm just like, eh, okay, right. I just did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was kind of my thought, like when she sent me this and I'm looking at this and I'm going, it's actually brilliant because number one, experiential shopping is a thing. People want an experience when they are shopping. And if you have a brick and mortar store, you can create an experience by, uh, you know, the service that you're giving people, the smell, like what candles are you burning in there? How is the store set up? You can create that experience. Um, and it's very different with e-commerce, which we are totally e-commerce. We don't have a physical location. We don't wholesale. Everything is online, but people still want some kind of an experience. And um, so I saw this and I was like, this feels super risky, really, really, really risky to do this with these shoes that we're trying to get out the door. At the time we were thinking that we were going to do it in order to fund getting inventory in, but I was like, you know what, what's it going to hurt? Like, let's just risk it and see what happens. And so we did it with, um, our Jesse sneaker and our faith flat. We did it kind of back to back two weeks in a row, 36 hours. And my jaw was on the floor. I was like, I cannot believe 
how well this just went. Okay. Cause um, I got to back up right now because uh-huh. I don't think we're telling quite the whole story. First of all, if you want to look at what we're talking about, you need to go on to, while you're listening, the root collective.com it's R O O T collective.com and look at the shoes. But also you kind of, we kind of glossed over this little, and I think you hit on it when you said retail has to be an experience, but I think the Root Collective has really made an experience with your insiders group. Let's just give them a little bit and then we'll go on to the, the pre-sales. Yeah. So, so we have a group on Facebook. Um, a lot of people nowadays, I feel like in in retail kind of gloss over Facebook. Everybody's more interested in Instagram and TikTok and um, I guess even Snapchat to some extent. There's a lot of value in Facebook still, um, primarily because of the community building aspect. And the community building is another thing that I, I always get sad when I see these brands that I love that are not actively building community because I'm like, you're missing out on so much. Um, not only is it fun, but our... Um, our community on Facebook, which I think has about 2,700 people in it at this point, y'all sell to each other all the time. Oh, truth. Yeah. <laughs> you sell to each other all the time. And I mean, like we've got, now that we've started doing these limited pre-orders, like people who had ordered, like, so we're, we're actually in the middle of one by the time this airs, it'll be over, but we're in the middle of one right now. It closes tonight at 9 PM. And people who got in on the first one that we had back in the fall are being like, y'all need these shoes. Like, you know, these are my favorite shoes. They're really comfortable. They're really this, they're really that. I can wear them with everything. And that community is selling for us, which is incredible. Um, But it is just this little gem on the internet of um, women who just genuinely want to make a difference in the world. And And you never had to tell them to be nice to each other. They just are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, they're fantastic. Um, you know, there, there can be some downsides of having a group like that. But um, for the most part, I think it's one of the smartest business things I've ever done was build up that community. It's certainly, um, it's certainly a case study for small business and ways to do it well, I think, because, and it's not just, you know, it's some, the team members that you've picked over the years, you know, yeah, they just get on. They're just, they're good, good folks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. They're creative. They're, you know, silly. They're, they're honest. Like, and so what I see as a consumer is a lot of people asking the same fit questions like a hundred times and nobody, you know, nobody gets mad. They just answer it or somebody will. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty sure I've written because I, you know, I feel like when you have a handmade item that's kind of made for your foot, you just got to tease it a little bit and, you know, work it a little bit till it's molded to your foot. And, you know, it's, it's fun. We, we have, we've got great ways to do that. You can learn about them at the Root Collective Insiders. And, you know, I never believed that hitting, wearing a pair of thick socks and hitting a shoe with a hot hairdryer would mold it into place, but it really does. And I'm just, (laughs) who knew? I know. (laughs) My army friends say they used to just wear, 
you know, wet socks and put their boots on and wear them in the shower and they would just mold the same way, but you don't have to, you can, but you don't have to. So, and I, I find, you know, and they want, and they want, like, I love somebody said, can somebody send me pictures of their wearing their faith flats, which is the faith flat is a, is a, I want to call it kind of, it looks sort of like an elfie shoe in the front, but it's got kind of a, a flat, comfy sole in the back and they're just good. Like they're, they could replace, they could replace sneakers. They could replace, you know, they're just, but you could dress them up, dress mm-hmm. them down, whatever, you, you know, they're just good all purpose. Yeah. They're, and they're beautiful. They really are. Bonus. <laughs> Bonus. So, all right. Now we've talked about the community. So you kind of know. So let's get back to how the pre-orders it. We, we left this when you were saying you were shocked by yeah. the pre-orders. Yeah. So what happened? So we did two pre-order events back to back. One week uh, we did our a new sneaker that we were launching. And the next week we did the faith flat that you're talking about. And um, I mean, the whole time our entire team was going, I cannot believe how well this is going. Like this is absolutely insane um, because people felt that urgency. And there was a lot of FOMO of if I don't get it right now, because we kept saying, we don't know when these are coming back, which was true. Like we legitimately didn't know how long it was going to take us to, to have these available again. Um, and it really lit a fire under people. Um, and, and then we had a couple of other things happen over the fall. One of, one of the big things was, you know, we're trying to expand and do all these new products and we have a, a small warehouse space. That's actually, it's a house that we own a really small house and we don't, we don't have physical room. Like we literally don't have physical room to put inventory and um, it's risky doing new things. It's very risky because um, I say all the time that people are just so confusing. Like you've got something that you're convinced is going to do really well. And then we get all this inventory and we launch it and we're like, huh, well, apparently we missed the mark on that one. Um, Give me uh, an example of that. Like, what did you think was going to go? That I'm going to say has been more with new colors rather than new styles. So there have been times where it's like, this is a gorgeous color. This is going to sell really well. And then it doesn't. And we're like, okay, well now we have all this inventory. Um, And then, you know, that means if it doesn't sell, then you have to then discount it. And as a brand, that's one of the worst things that you can do because you never want it. You never want to be a discount brand unless you're starting as a discount brand, which for us was never the goal. We never wanted to be that. Um, a lot of it is just trying to, to retrain people's brains that, you know, what, what is the true cost of a $20 pair of shoes? Like right. what, what is the true cost behind that in terms of, you know, who suffered in order for us to get something that cheap, because you can't, you can't make a product that cheap. Um, all right. Do you want to, do you want to explain that a little bit for listeners who maybe yeah. Um, it's because Do we want to talk about your, your general price ranges so people will kind of know where you're at? Yeah. So for our shoes, um, we're between about 118 and our most expensive pair currently is about 338. We've got a boot. That's set. for a, big, a high boot, like a knee high boot. Yep. Um, the vast majority of our of our flat shoes are in like the 150 range. Um, and then our boots are typically around 258. Um, so those are really our two big price points is right around there. Um, 
but when we're talking about like what really the true cost of a product is, um, you know, we, I like using the, the $20 pair of jeans example. So you go and you, and you buy a $20 pair of jeans. And if you sit and you break that down, uh, the cotton for them had to be grown. It had to be, uh, it had to be picked. It had to be ginned. It had to be milled. Um, sometimes it's actually done here in the U S we still have cotton being grown here can be done in other areas of the world too. Typically then, uh, that is shipped to China because the vast majority of our clothing manufacturing is still done in China. Um, it's got to be turned into fabric from there. It's got to be cut. It's got to be sewn. It's got to be all put together. Then it's got to be put on a ship back to the U S um, and put on a retailer shelf. Um, and a retailer is normally charging double what they paid for it. So if there's a $20 pair of jeans, they've only paid $10 for it. And how is it possible for something to have cost $10 when you really break down all of those steps and not have people basically making slave wages in there, um, having it be really detrimental to the environment because doing things well is expensive. It costs money. And the thing with that $20 pair of jeans is because it was so cheaply made, it's not going to last you very long. Um, which means then that's going to turn around. That's going to end up in a landfill and then you're going to have to go and turn around and buy another $20 pair of jeans that again, is going to last you, you know, six months. Um, and then the cycle continues. And so not only are we talking about, you know, how are the people treated in the supply chain, but now we've got all of this cheap clothing ending up in landfills. Um, and a lot of times there are plastics in that fabric as well. And plastic does not break down. I mean, it's sitting there for, you know, 200 years, 300 years, I don't think they actually really know how long it takes plastic to break down. Um, and I say this with also saying that we've got some plastics in our supply chain too. Like some of the foams that we use have plastic. Um, one of our, our soles um, is plastics based, but while we're trying to get away from using plastics, we're also giving you a product that is not going to last for six months and then you're going to throw it away. You know, this is something that you're going to be wearing for years. Like the shoes that you were talking about, you've had for eight years now. It's got a plastic, yes. it's got a plastic sole on it. Sure. But it's also lasted you for eight years. It's walked um, miles and miles and miles. So yeah. I'm good with it. <laughs> and right. I, I'm not throwing it away. Um, so we have, this has gone faster than I thought possible. So I, I kind of hope that people get the creativity of this business but I want to get into some of the questions from, from the insiders um, because they all really want to know about the design of the shoes. So let's talk about um, where do you get the ideas for designs that don't necessarily match other things on the market? This is a question from Joey. Okay. Um, so our research normally starts on Google. So we're looking at what other brands are doing. Um, we're not trendy. We never want to be trendy. Trendy is not something that I'm interested in at all. Um, no, you're I, more classic. Yeah, we want something that is stylish and timeless. Like you're not going to buy it now. And then a year from now, you're going to be like, why did I buy this? You know, it's completely out of fashion now. So we are interested in style. We are not interested in trends. 
Um, but that being said, you know, we look at what other people are doing. And um, I work with a co-designer, Kirsten, who uh, she went to FIT in New York, Fashion Institute of Technology uh, for shoe design. So she she has a background in this as opposed to me. Um, she can also draw, which I can't. I mean, I'm like, I can do stick figures or like draw a flower. <laughs> I can't draw. <laughs> it's a start. <laughs> um so that's, that's where we start is that. And then we're like, huh, okay. I like the silhouette. I like the shape. I like what they've done with the shoe. How can we make it ours? Um, and Kirsten and I have been working together for, I want to say five or six years at this point. Um, she was like, just kind of came in on a few projects years ago. Um, she had reached out to me and she was like, Hey, here's my background. Do you need any help? And I was like, actually, um, and I would say probably in the last three or four years though, she's been, she's been with us really consistently. Um, so she's, she's the one who's doing a lot of it now, but her and I, it's a very collaborative approach. Um, so, you know, sometimes she'll send me stuff and she'll be like, what do you think of this? Other times I'll send her things and I'm like, Hey, I've got an idea. And this is our joke. I'm like, it, like, here's my inspiration for it, but it actually looks nothing like this. <laughs> This is not actually what I'm thinking, but like, you can I'm, only see into your brain, Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the general idea. And there are times where we're literally like sending each other videos back and forth of like paper or fabric, like taped onto our foot, like trying to get the idea across to each other of what we're, what we're trying I to do. I love that. Um, it's, it's been really funny. The things that we have done. Please put one of those pictures on the, on the Facebook page, please. <laughs> I have to ask her if she still has some, cause it was mostly video, which, you know, <laughs> you don't uh, typically keep, we're trying to get better. She actually sent me a paper mold today that she like made on a, on a shoe last, but a paper mold of something that we're working on. And I told her, I was like, please save that in our Google drive so that we have it for when the shoe comes out. Um, cause it is fun to just give people that you know, that inside look. Um, so once we have like a general idea, then Kirsten really, she's the one who goes to work. Um, and she's typically working in like procreate, I think, um, is her, her primary program for, for drawing things. And, you know, sometimes she's, she's overlaying it, you know, ideas on top of another shoe that we found online or overlaying it on one of our existing shoes just to get the shape correct. Um, our logo has a, a hexagon on it and we've started using that as design elements. So she'll be taking our logo and literally like putting our logo like in different angles on the shoe just to get the, the angle right of the design element that she's working on. Which is very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. cool little it, element. Cause it used to be, you know, when you started your shoes were well known like I always knew when I walked by and saw somebody in, in a root collective shoe, because they're very distinct in that they've got either a leather or a canvas front and typically another um, pattern fabric in the back, which is, right. it's cool. Yeah. Um, and that has changed a little, but now we've got hexagons everywhere. And uh, yeah. it's fun. Well, and it was fun because the first time that we really did that on purpose was with our Jesse sneaker that came out in the fall. That was our very first 36 hour pre-order that we did. And we didn't think anybody was going to really catch on to it. Like our, what we were intending to do, like we did it because we're like, this is a cool branding thing. Um, and people are like, oh, I love that you put the hexagon in there. I love that it, it mirrors the logo. And we're like, what people are like actually getting what we're doing here. <laughs> we were like, this is so cool. <laughs> 
Um, so we're, we're constantly now, like whenever we're working on something new, it's like, can, can we get a hexagon in here somewhere? Um, just, just from a branding perspective. And you might, it might not even be that obvious. Like it just might be how a particular section is cut, but, um, it is definitely always on the radar. Yeah, that's cool. So Joy wants to know what goes into the decision to diversify products. So you started with shoes and a few other things, and then you went to only shoes, but then bags started sneaking back in. And now you've got some other accessories coming in. So what goes into those decisions? So we are primarily a shoe company, but we wanted to, to start branching out and doing other things. And this decision so we started, like I said, we started with doing a whole bunch of things. I think that lasted for about 18 months. And then we we're like, we got to, we got to scale this back. Um, and it was interesting timing because sometimes it was like a group we were working with dissolved or they decided to go in a different direction. Um, and it just was the perfect storm for us to, to focus, which again, I would highly recommend anybody doing anything product-based. Um, I always say niche is rich and broad is broke. And we tried to go way too broad and, and niching it down was a very smart decision. Um, but I want to say it was probably about two or three years ago where I was like, okay, I feel like we have our feet under us a little bit more. Like what else can we do? Um, and shoes and bags just naturally go together. Like those from a product perspective naturally go together. Um, and also it's, it's very interesting. We've learned that, um, that shoes, shoes and bags are also where people want to be seen. So you'll see somebody wearing like a $5 t-shirt from target with their Tory Burch flats in their Gucci bag. Like that's where they want to be seen. Um, so it just kind of made sense from a product perspective to start branching out into bags and accessories. Um, our shoes are still by far our top seller, but um, it does help to have a little bit more diversity, have other things to talk about um, and also just more employment opportunity. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, um, so she also wants, Joy also wants to talk about what have been your most successful experiment. Oh, let's, let's broaden this out. I hope Joy doesn't mind. What's been your most successful experiment or biggest surprise in your product line? Biggest. So branching out into the Jesse sneaker, I would say, which was a very, that was, we launched that last fall. Um, it was a very different product from everything else we were doing very different. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, sneakers just in general are a totally different beast. We were, we were worried about it. Um, we had to do a ton of development on it. Uh, cause things like even the soles that we're doing, we had to have those custom developed. So like we had to work with the sole factory, um, cause you can't just get those. Like, is, is, is that like the biggest dis expense? Cause that seems to be making those molds and things like that. I know that's big dollars. So it can be big dollars. Um, the, the soles that we use for the sneakers, we got specifically because it is a cut product rather than like, if you've got, so like our Gabby fat flat, for example, which again, that's one that has a plastic sole um, that needs an actual mold for the plastic material to be poured into and then press, like it's a totally different process, which is why we intentionally look for things that don't involve that unless we can import, which importing was completely out of the question up until 
probably about a year or two ago. Um, and now we're starting to import some things from Mexico that we can't get in Guatemala. Mexico actually um, behind China is the second largest exporter of footwear in the world. Um, and it's fascinating. It borders, <laughs> I know you wouldn't think it, um, it borders Guatemala. And so as we have gotten um, also just new, new contacts with new workshops that we're working with, um, they've had contacts. So they're like, oh yeah, well, I can ask a contact in Mexico to see if we can get this. Um, so like we're, a shoe that we're working on right now, um, you know, we're developing both with our, our the same sole that the Jesse is on, but we're also looking at potentially importing a different sole from Mexico just to, we're like, let's just see if this works. That was not an option three years ago. We couldn't have done it. Um, so yeah, that can be, it's, developing something like soul is a little bit more so the time involved. Like it is a very time intensive thing of trying to get it right. Um, you know, even that soul, it was like, I can't even remember how many samples we got in. I was like, well, this is too thick. Well, this is too this. Well, this is this. Well, this material isn't strong enough. It was also the first time that we actually had to go to a lab and have it tested, like strength tested to make sure that it wasn't going to fall apart three years ago, that wasn't an option. We didn't even know that that, I was like, I didn't know that that existed. I'm like, that's, why have we not been doing that this whole time? Like, that's brilliant. Um, so it was a very interesting, very interesting process. But um, yeah, that Jesse sneaker, again, it just, it felt risky and it has just been a phenomenal seller for us. Okay. Where have you been on the planet that you've seen your shoes that you wouldn't normally expect to? So <laughs> it's funny running a business. I don't really get to actually travel much um, because I'm work. I'm either working in like in North Carolina where I live or in Guatemala, but um, I have seen them like out in the wild for sure. Like I was at a concert a couple of years ago now. Um, so I have a, well, COVID and then I have a 10 month old. So we don't like do things like go to concerts very much right now. <laughs> right. Um, but I think it was the summer before COVID and I was there with a friend and I was like, oh, somebody, like somebody was walking and I'm like, those are, those are my shoes. Like it, and it's so fun seeing that I was at a conference once in like the Midwest and ran into somebody wearing them. Um, but we, I love hearing the stories of like our customers. They were like, I was in such and such. And, you know, I saw somebody wearing them. Um, okay. Did you resist the urge to run up and go, I made your shoes. Oh no. no, if I'm anywhere in like vicinity of you and if I see you wearing my shoes, I'm 100% going to say something. And it normally starts off with, hey, cute shoes. And they're like, thanks. And I'm like, by the way, by the way, mama. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I, you know, it's, I have to kind of, I need a, a quicker elevator speech because I can kind of see eyes glazing when I go, Oh, well, these are sustainably sourced, blah, 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 made the little, little, the Guatemala, little, 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 here's where you can get them. And they're like, thanks. I just liked them, you know, <laughs> but I, I would like to think that over the years, at least a couple of people have bought shoes because of something I've had on my foot. I'm sure they have. Honestly, so. like our customers are by far our number one advocates. Um, we actually had somebody not long ago, um, cause you don't always get to hear the stories of like where people found you from, but there was a woman, um, 
who was asking some questions and uh, our customer service manager was, she was out at the time. So I was actually covering our customer service and she's asked me these questions. And I asked her, I was like, where did you hear about us? And she was like, oh, I ran into somebody in a coffee shop. And I was like, that's awesome. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. So you have some celebrities wearing your, your footwear, which is kind of fun. It is fun. Yeah. Did you, did you do that or did that just happen? So, um, things rarely just happen. So there was (laughs) plotting involved. Um, Candace Cameron Bure is our, our, probably our biggest one. Um, guys grew up on fuller full house now fuller house, uh, and Hallmark Christmas movies, which is, I mean, the most predictable thing you can watch on television, which is why I love it. I'm like, it's easy TV. Like I know it's going to turn out okay. And I can tell you exactly what the storyline is going to be before it even happens. (laughs) Um, so her, we ended up getting connected with her through, it was one of those really random things where, uh, my sister saw something on Instagram with a PR rep who was working with Candace Cameron and some other people. And my sister was like, Hey, you should contact this PR rep. And I, I did. And her and I ended up becoming friends and, um, she was, cause she lives in California. She was going to be in New York at the same time that I was going to be in Philadelphia. And she was like, Hey, I got tickets. It was when Candace was on the view. She's like, I got tickets for, for the view. Do you want to come up since you're going to be there? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So, um, I got to hang out with Candace for, um, we actually went out that night and hung out for a bit. She's, she is exactly what she seems like on social media. Very, very sweet. Um, and good to know. Yeah, it is. It's always encouraging to be like, wow, this person is actually what they portray rather than not being that. <laughs> and being mean, you know, let's just say it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was how our shoes, it was very intentional. Um, Candace has quite a few pairs at this point. Um, one of them makes, makes an appearance in a Hallmark Christmas movie. How great is that? Mm-hmm. You have arrived. I know. You keep saying you're going out of business every summer, but you'll always have homework. That's right. That's pretty cool. So um, I'm trying to think, like, what was your favorite thing that you designed? Oh, wow. That's a tricky question. Um, I mean, we've got stuff coming up that I can't, I can't really talk about yet. I always have new favorites. Right. Oh, like right. My favorites, because I, I know what we're working on, you know, six to 12 months from now. And I'm like, I can't wait to get that on my feet. There's one, one pair in particular, that's actually um, an existing, it's the Jesse sneaker, but we're doing it differently. And I'm like, I cannot wait to get that on my feet. Like I need it now. <laughs> that's so fun. Every once in a while, I, I, you know, I catch a picture of you wearing something that's not on your website, on your feet, yeah. on Facebook. And I don't know if you, yeah, I'm sure you do that. On oh, purpose. I do it on purpose. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your creative toolkit or that, what are your, what, what's in your arsenal? Like, what are like tried and true? Here's what I learned about being creative that should help. Cause I think you'll probably be encouraging to startups and, small business and little fashionistas and, you know. Yeah. Creative toolkit. So, um, 
I'm going to talk about like actual like things that we use because it, I have, I have an interesting brain where I'm pretty like evenly split right and left brain. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I took a test once and I was like, that's very interesting. Cause it's pretty much like split right down the middle. Um, I think one of the hardest things of being a creative and being a small business. So we're going, you know, both right and left brain there is organization. Um, and it's something that we have struggled with massively. Um, so we use Pinterest a lot for planning. Um, and for me, I feel like that's such a, a great creative tool because not only can you go and you can search for things and you can also organize them. <laughs> um, so we use that a ton. Um, Kirsten, my, my designer and I, we use that to send ideas back and forth and just to, to save stuff because, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got, you know, you know, it's how easy it is to happen. You're like, Oh crap. I saw that, that one thing, where was it? And then you can't find it again. Um, so we've gotten really in the habit of doing that. Um, and that's the first time I've heard that being used for business. Although I'm sure it happens all the time and I just don't know. I use it for, I've got one that, you know, everything I think about remodeling my bathroom and, you know, so it makes sense. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, Pinterest is really, it's a planning tool. Like that's what it is. It's for planning for the future. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we use it. I, from my perspective, from a creative perspective all the time with just storing information and inspiration. Um, another big tool that we're trying to get better at using, um, is Asana, which we use for, um, we use it for a lot of things, but we're actually this year, um, trying to onboard our, um, partners in Guatemala to get on it too, so that we can all be in one place. Um, and they've just, we actually, we just upgraded our Asana account and we're trying to figure out like, they have like a timeline tool where like, you can have like, here are the, here's the timeline for the project. And like, if you miss a deadline, it's automatically, I think it's going to automatically like shift everything else. Um, so yeah. Um, and if anybody that, doesn't know out there, it's a business management tool. So you can yeah. kind of, you can kind of, uh, well, you can set it up any way you want, but it's a pretty good one. But yeah. um, there are a lot of chat. You can chat within the the organization. So there's plenty of ways to. It's just a big paper trail is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Which is really important um, in manufacturing because we have had so many times where, you know, one of the other struggles with working internationally is just the difference in how people communicate. So like here in the US, like we're email. And from a business perspective, everything is on email. Guatemala is not like that. Like they don't operate off of email. It's a lot of face-to-face interaction, a lot of phone calls. And since we can't do that, we do, we have um, a manager in Guatemala, but um, you know, our, a lot of our communication will happen on WhatsApp and it is so easy for things to get lost in there. Like we'll say something and then they'll miss it obviously not on purpose. And then like, we get a sample in and we're like, no, like we specifically talked about this, but (laughs) it was, you know, two weeks ago when you had to dig through two weeks of, of messages. Yes. Cause how many shades, how many shades of white are there? How many? A jillion. I don't even know. I mean, (laughs) we actually that, yeah, that was something that we had happen where there was a miscommunication on what white leather we were using for something. And then we get a shoe in and I'm like, 
in a panic at nine o'clock on a Friday night. Cause I just got the sample in and I'm they're literally in production. And I'm like, no, it, stop <laughs> everyone stop. Um, because there was, it was just missed because we're working internationally and these are the things that happen. So, uh, we're really making a very, very big push to get Asana set up in a way that is going to just get all of us more organized because we need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. The um, learning curve wasn't too terrible on that one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're still, we've been using it very, very casually for years, but I'm like, no, this is the year that we actually figure out what this can do. Like we're going to figure out what it can do and how it can help us. Um, and I mean, other creative things I've got a, um, a color book that I love. I love colors. Like, and I love figuring out what colors work together. Um, and I've used that a lot for inspiration. Um, you know, and it, cause it's got like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different color, color palettes where I think it's got like five different colors in there. I wish I could remember what the name of the book, what I've got it right in the other room. Um, but it's like, it's got a section for reds. It's got a section for orange reds. It's got a section for blue reds. It's got a section for monochromatic. It's got like all of these different sections. Um, and that's been really fun just to, um, just to get inspiration, you know, when we need it of like, well, what colors really should we use together? Um, and then I also have a book of, I think it's like a thousand and one patterns um, that I also, I mean, that's just pretty stuff to look at too, but <laughs> as right. we're looking at new things, it's like, where can I get some inspiration from here? Right. All right. Well, any advice for, um, and I'll let, I'll leave this open to you. This could be about fair trade, sustainability, creativity, small business, um, being a working mother of an infant, um, managing a family and, and a business at the same time you go, <laughs> just pick one. Cause you've done all those things. So advice that I would have yeah, for um, anybody who wants to be, you know, where you are. Uh, I, the number one thing is persistence. That's what I tell people all the time. I think that most businesses and most dreams die because it's hard and it's hard for everyone. Um, but the thing that I love about humanity is like I said earlier, like people are solving problems that I never realized needed to be solved. Um, and that's how I look at my life is that's what I want to be remembered for at the end of the day is what problems did I solve? And the world needs you, you know, the world needs you and your unique perspective and, um, you know, the problems that you see that need fixing. And, um, it takes persistence to do that. But, um, I think that's the most beautiful thing that we can do with our life. Awesome. That's perfect. So let's just review again. You, you guys need to go immediately to the rootcollective.com. Look at some shoes. Share some stories on Facebook. Where, where else can we find you? Yeah. So we're on Instagram at the Root Collective. Uh, we just started on TikTok. I feel oh, like. Oh, you're brave. You're brave. It was. <laughs> I 
on it for a really long time because I was like, our people aren't on TikTok. Like TikTok used to be a much younger generation, but it's changing a lot. So I was like, all right, we really need to do this. Um, so that account is brand new in the last couple of weeks. So, uh, we're also at the root collective there. Uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash the root collective. And then our insiders group URLs really way too long to tell you, but you can just go to Facebook and search for the root collective insiders. And, you'll and find that's that. the group you want to join, because if you really want to know about the, the culture of these shoes, that's where you kind of have to be. And it's fun. And you will also get so much behind the scenes stuff because Bethany and her team are nothing if not transparent about the good, the bad, the, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both there, they have the That's shoe from, you know, the shoe factory. So I don't know why I'm, I've been singing eighties theme songs lately. I don't know what's wrong with me, <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing. And, um, I think, you know, what you're doing is so inspiring and, and, you know, part of the solution you've, you're solving problems. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for yeah. having me. Hey, anytime you can even co-host with me if you want. Oh, great. Cool. <laughs> That's what season two is coming up anyway. Um, so listeners, thank you for sitting with me for a whole season and, and into a season two feel free to give me a shout out at the creative backstory at gmail.com. Um, give me some thoughts. We, we are also on Facebook. You'll, you'll find me, I'm sure, wherever you find me now. Um, talk back and um, we'll talk to you soon. Now go out and make something. The creative backstory wouldn't be possible without the support of JuxtaHub, Emmaus, Pennsylvania's Arts and Innovation Center, where people from all walks of life gather, create, and grow. If you've been inspired by a creative person in your life or have a story about your favorite creative processes, we'd love to hear about it. Contact us at thecreativebackstory at gmail.com.